You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast, where we highlight the stories of Native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the D. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor. And on this week's edition of the podcast, we had the opportunity to sit down with someone that is doing some amazing work in the world of brand marketing. Joining us on the podcast this week was Taarka Blue, better known as T-Blue. And in this conversation, we discuss a variety of things, including his extensive career as a brand and strategic marketer. We also discuss the origins and meaning behind his first name, Taarka as well as how he's been able to grow as a creative. And all of this took place in the city of Detroit. In fact, if you are a person that is interested in learning how to convert your passion for creativity into a flourishing and rewarding career, this is the episode for you. I cannot say enough about this episode. I enjoyed it a great deal. One thing that T and I share in common is being big brothers. We discuss what that responsibility means. We discuss the importance of family. And speaking of which, shout out to his sister and previous podcast guest, Noara Blue, as well as my OG, Jawan Hawkins, for facilitating this connection. I cannot say enough about this episode and also this upstanding gentleman. Now, all of that being said, you have heard enough from me. So why don't we dive into the discussion that I had with the one and only Taarka. Blue. All right. This is Detroit Worldwide. And joining us today is someone that is really doing some amazing work in the world of brand marketing. Who we have on the podcast today is Taarka Blue, better known as T Blue. And in this conversation, we are going to talk about a variety of things, including his experience growing up in Detroit as well as all of the amazing things that he is doing. So, T. Blue, or to Archer, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, my G. What up, though? Man, what up, though? I appreciate you having me, man. You made that sound real good. <laughs> <laughs> as we dive into our questions, I want to definitely give a shout-out to two people. First person, my OG, Jawan Hawkins, 
who connected me with this cat right here. And then also Noara Blue, both were graduates in Wayne State. I'm a very proud graduate of Wayne State. So anytime that I have the opportunity to connect and showcase somebody's work from Wayne State is always going to be a, a good time. So again, we're going to have T Blue get into everything. And like I said, a pleasure to have you on the podcast, bro. No, glad to be here, man. Shout out to Juwan. That's my that's my fraternity brother and, and my brother in life. You know what I mean? So I just uh, I appreciate everything that he's doing and and, uh, and continuing to do. And I'm glad to just be a part of this. So. For sure, for sure. So diving into our first question, I was wondering if you can begin by telling our listening audience more about yourself, including some of the work that you're doing. Man, so currently I am a creative and brand director. I actually work for a company as a creative and brand director for a cybersecurity company, leading all the brand exercise and, and marketing focus on things. Uh, and then I'm also a partner in a strategic brand and digital agency known as the Color Group. And we work with various clients in, in many capacities, primarily from the creative side of things, literally creating, whether it be developing content, collateral materials, emotional materials and strategic problem solving is really what it's about. You know, at the end of the day, anybody can make something. But it, for me, it's about getting with my clients and understanding what the problem is they need to solve for and coming up with creative solutions to do that. OK, fascinating work. And we'll dive into the origins of that work uh, throughout this conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that you're holding it down in Houston, Texas, H-Town. Hopefully the weather is cooperative out there. Oh, yeah. But I know, also know that you was born and raised in the D. So yes, if you can sir. talk about that experience, what was it like growing up in the city of Detroit? What was it like growing up in the city of Detroit? Well, for clarity, I, I grew up on the east side of Detroit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I love the city. I love the city as a whole, but, but you know that the east side is, is, is home home. That's my, my special stumping grounds. Mm -hmm. For me, man, it was... This might sound cliche, but Detroit was everything. Mm -hmm. That's what I know. That's that's who I am. It, it it molded me to to think, to keep your head on swivel a little bit, to look people in their eye, to understand the soul of a man. Because it, it's so much energy in the city, man. I, you know, Detroit to me is like the the original melting pot. You know, it's mm -hmm. funny, especially now being here in Houston and seeing the similarities. When you think about Detroit culturally, and I'm going back years when you get to, you know, Paradise Valley and Black Bottom days, those were folks who migrated from the South, from areas like Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, you know, and came to the city for, uh, you know, a better life. And that level of seriousness and hospitality all in one, that's where it came from. So you grew up with that. And, and, and there's a, a strength and a power just in being from Detroit. I mean, I had neighborhood heroes, you know, some of them did things that, that are, we don't need to mention. <laughs> but, you know, in, in the midst of doing those things, they were trying to, you know, make their mark or find their way out. You know, and I had professional people around me. So it was just, it was a taste of everything. But for me, it was the beauty of blending those things together and understanding that people are people and it's, and it's all based in love. Now, I asked the previous guest this question and... One thing that I find special about Detroit, and for clarification or context, I should say, I'm a West Sider, but okay. my family is from the East Side. So one thing I've noticed is that people from the East Side, they have like this resilience, they have this, I don't want to use the word grit, but that's the only thing I can think of right now. But <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's a follow-up question. Yeah. In your opinion, what makes the East Side of Detroit so special? 
that grit, you know, and, and that's not to take anything away from the rest of the city because the city as a whole has it. But again, I'm, I'm not a history buff, but but history and context matters, right? Mm -hmm. So you think about when it comes to black folks, the east side was Detroit. And as we begin to accumulate wealth and those kind of things, we spread further and further west. That's why when you look now, I'm checking on Instagram, freaking out because cats are partying at nobody. We would have never partied at nobody when I was coming up, bro. You didn't even know nobody existed in real life. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. but the east side is, is essentially where things started. So that was where you had to learn to get it, to make it to the west side, to make it to Southfield. You know, I remember, uh, you know, my wife and I got married in 2006. And as a kid, making it meant you moved to Southfield. You know what I mean? So when I got married, I, we bought our first house in Southfield. I'm like, I'm on nine mile of telegraph. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know? What's special about the East Side is there's a level of grit, there's a level of grind and get it from the mud that just culturally everything started there. And we never let go of that. Um, mm -hmm. And just as we continue to evolve, we just spread out further and further. So at the end of the day, the city is a city, bro. I don't care if you're six miles, seven miles, Joy Road, Gratiot, Gunston, whatever. The city is the city. And when we are outside of the city, East and West don't matter. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, East and West only matters when you're talking to somebody from the city. You're like, where, mm -hmm. you, where are you really from though? You know what I mean? When you come outside the city, man, if, if being in Houston, bro, if I say somebody see a Detroit sweatshirt on me or something, there's this love that just jumps in the air, bro. And it's, it's, it's like being back at home. Now, you being a creative, and you being fascinated by creativity, how did growing up in Detroit sort of develop that interest, if at all possible? I don't know, it's kind of an interesting story. So one, I've just always been a fan of graffiti, right? Like like an artistic standpoint, just a fan of graffiti, a fan of culture and art and all those things. And I was exposed to that. You know what I mean? You, you, you look in the city, there was all kind of people. You know, you think about going to the African World Festival back in the night, the early 90s, late 80s. You know, it was just it was it was culture there. We had house music going on. We had hell. We had what was it? The Hunky Tonk Festival, the like the Western. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Everything. Again, Detroit is this melting pot. So you had all this stuff that was there. So that sparked that level of, I guess, creativity for me. Uh, you think about hip hop music. You know, what I mean, you think about the Dillas of the world. You know, what I mean, and all of that just fueled that that desire. I don't know if you old enough to remember Chaos and Maestro, rap group. I don't think I do, bro. Don't think bro, I do. <laughs> if, if you get an opportunity, just look up Chaos and Maestro. And I was okay. like, one of the first tapes, you know, and they were from the D and I'm banging it. I met them down at Trapper's Alley, back at the Fudgery. I mean, just all of that energy is what kind of fed into who I was creatively, but I didn't know what to do with that right from a career standpoint it was if you, everybody i knew everybody in my family you worked at the plant you know what i mean and that that wasn't my life that wasn't created for me so i turned to movies and when people would ask me you know as a kid well who you want to be when you grow up or what do you want to be when you grow up i don't know if you've seen the movie i'm sure you have but the movie boomerang mm -hmm. and marcus graham or eddie murphy played the character marcus graham i didn't know exactly what he did but that's who I wanted to be. That's the job I wanted to have. Now, I wasn't trying to play all the women and all of that, but <laughs> my wife sitting next to me. <laughs> no, but but the the energy, the power, the suaveness of who he was, that was Detroit to me. Mm -hmm. He dressed well. He talked well. He handled himself in the room. You know, it was it was sexy. It was appealing. But on top of that, he was an artist and a businessman. And I just knew 
okay, I ain't, I ain't in, the, in the dope game and all that other stuff. I wanted to do this. And that led me down this path to find that that space. And as I look at my life now, the funny thing is sometimes I don't even recognize it, but I am Marcus Graham and I like being Marcus. It's good that that movie had a positive impact on you as far as like the direction of your life. Now, earlier I introduced you by your given name, Mm-hmm. which was given to you at a certain age. Yes, sir. So could you maybe talk about the unique meaning behind that name and when it was given to you? So, yes, I can. My legal birth name, the moment I came out the womb, was Willie D. Blue the Third, which is still mm-hmm. my name. I was named after my father, who was named after his father. In the process of growing up, my father continuing to to you know educate himself and, and learn about who he was, took several trips to Egypt and really delved into African studies and just learning who he was. And as a part of that, on one of those trips, uh, he was given the name Ta'arka, which is actually a pharaoh from the 25th dynasty in Egypt. But he was given that name, which means exalted one or one with a white heart, a white or pure heart. And Naturally, he comes home with that name and I'll never forget I was in the closet or he was he was in the closet and he had, you know, given me his name now. Right. And I was all excited. And I don't I think I was maybe seven or eight. Maybe I can't even really remember. But I remember he was in the closet and I went in the closet and I said, Dad, what's my name again? <laughs> like, what? What did you just tell me? I know it was good, but I didn't know what it was. And for me, it. I've been told that it does exemplify who I am. I try to be pure, transparent, honest to not only the world, but to myself. Mm-hmm. I believe I'm dope. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm exalted. And not in an arrogant way, just in, in a matter of, in a Detroit way, to be honest with you. Detroit people know they dope. Not like we trying to be doper than everybody else. We ain't, we, we, we don't try to stunt and flex on people because we are the flex. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I think that name has suited me well. And the funny thing is I always had challenges with kind of how I was going to introduce myself. You know, if I was going to know you personally, I was Ta'arka or T. And in any business setting, it was Willie. But as I began to, you know, get older and your professional and personal life started to cross, one group of people know this guy, one group of people do that one. So I literally would just introduce myself. If you look at all my social media and all the other stuff, it's Ta'arka Willie Blue. Because those are one person. I'm not different people, you know, but this is the full story of who I am. Man, and when you sent me the meaning behind your name and when you were given that name, the first person that popped into my mind was Tupac. Because his given name, I think, was like Leon Parrish or something like that. Uh But he was given the name Tupac Amaru. Yeah. So shout out to your pops for giving you that name and for him taking on that name for himself as well. Yeah, we uh, we unfortunately lost him. Uh, it'll be two years this coming March. Uh, but solid dude, man. He was he was one of those dudes that everybody loved. Even if you hated him, you loved him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But he was a straight up Detroit East Side dude. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like always wore a suit, carried a pistol and a razor. <laughs> you know <what> I'm saying? <laughs> but that was my man. But he was educated. He was he was inquisitive, innovative, and and just loved people. And so. I picked up a lot of those traits and I'm glad to carry them. Now, another dope thing about you growing up in the D is that you were part of the first graduating class for the Boys Preparatory Academy, which at the time was the first African-centered high school in the city. Yep. So 
thinking about your time there, if you can recall one lesson that you got from that experience, what would it be? <laughs> uh, so Aisha Shule, W.E.B. Du Bois Preparatory Academy was founded by Imani Humphrey and Inamoye Capri Hill, man. Two wonderful women who are now ancestors. But actually, as I think about it, Imani Humphrey uh, used to teach at Wayne State. But, you know, they left huge impacts on this earth. But if there's one thing that I absolutely remember, because it literally shaped who I was. But the one saying that I remember is uh, anything good and accomplished in this world takes work and everything else is jive. Mm. Period and point blank. Mm. So then how have you been able to apply that to your life? If you don't mind me asking. Man, working at it, you know, plan my work and work my plan. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing in my life is God, period. You know, mm -hmm. first and foremost, I, I'm a man of faith. You know, I got my faith. The scripture that I live by and I've always lived by is Hebrews 11. 1. Mm -hmm. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. God has, has, has gracefully literally just pointed me in, in the directions and put me in the places I needed to be. But, you know, as they say, faith without works is dead. And I had a plan. And I, I continue to make plans. What's funny is that I get older, my plans are not as what I would call crystal clear because I'm thinking more about my children and my wife and all those other things. But as a kid, it was like I had these milestones that I wanted to hit and places I wanted to be and and and, and things I wanted to see. And and I worked on planning those things out. You know, it was, it was like you can't swim in every pool, but if you stand close enough, you either gonna get pushed in or some water gonna splash on you or something. I wanted to be a husband. I wanted to be a father. I wanted to own a home. I wanted to start a business. I wanted to work with cool people. I wanted to work with ordinary people. I wanted to, you know, just, I wanted to be something worthy of having somebody listen to me on a podcast. And I don't know if I've made it to that, but the fact that you've asked me to even do this is, is again, a step toward that work, so. Yeah, and like I told you before and offline, like I feel like everybody has a story you, your sister, and your brother, you all have individual stories. And then, of course, us having the thing in common, being big bros. Yeah, man. One thing I do want to talk about, after high school, you transition to pursue higher education. I know, did you go to Oakland first? I went to Oakland University, okay. 1996. Okay, so let's talk about Oakland. So when you get to Oakland University, what did your village look like for you? Man. <laughs> It's funny, so I say it's funny because my brother went to an HBCU, but going to Oakland, we almost had like HBCU vibes, not the school as a whole, but when I came into Oakland, it was 3% black, maybe five at the most. So when I got there, everybody knew everybody. You had like three people from Cash, you had two people from Du Bois, you had five people from King, you know, you didn't have these like just groups of people that already linked up. So mm -hmm. we came in and it was just this overwhelming unification, you know, and, and half of us were from Detroit. It was like, listen, you from Detroit, you look like me, let's link up, let's rock and roll, let's get each other through this. And it just, it created that, what I see is like this HBCU vibe with like each one teach one, we look out for each other, we push each other. You failing in this class, I'm gonna help tutor you. You know, you pledging, I'm gonna I'm give you some money, whatever. You know what I mean? I had an mm -hmm. opportunity to pledge Capital Alpha Society, you know what I'm saying? Shout out to the Nukes, Capital Alpha Society chapter. But, you know, even 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 in being Greek, you know, it wasn't all about KA Psy. 
It was about the Divine Nine at Oakland. You know what I mean? My sands aren't the only people who helped me cross those sands. There were folks from other organizations, folks who were pledging themselves or getting ready to or whatever that helped push me over that, you know, over that line, man. And it was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful time. I met some of my best friends there, you know, my my kids, godparents. You know, I met my wife there. You know what I mean? And I've been married nearly 15 years now. It'll be 15 years in May. And we met there. You know what I mean? And, you know, she's always like, I don't know how I stayed with you. <laughs> but uh, but no, man, it, it, it literally was kind of that stamp for me as an adult. And what was unique in my situation is I got to school early. I graduated at 16. So I get up there and as a 16 year old, I'm trying to hang out with the college kids. You know what I mean? And what I ended up finding out was I wasn't looked at that way because folks are like, yo, we trying to hang out with you. So it just, it, it really shaped me, molded me, uh, helped me structure part of, you know, part of the man that I am. And it's, it's dope, man. But that's, but that's Detroit though. Like mm-hmm. Oakland was literally Detroit. So yeah. And the people I've interviewed on this podcast from Oakland and those who I know personally, like they are doing some amazing things. I don't know what it is about Oakland, but it seems like when you come there and you leave there, you just set up for this path of success that's like unspeakable. And I don't know if it's because you all are like in Rochester Hills and which isn't that far from Detroit, but it's something about the people who I know that went to Oakland. They're just like doing some amazing stuff. I look at that almost like the East Side, right? It, it's yeah. a grit to it because Oakland being a traditionally what people would call a commuter school, we were the underdog. You know, we weren't we weren't Wayne State, which was in the city. We weren't Michigan State, which is huge. We weren't U of M. We weren't Eastern. You know what I mean? It was kind of like we the, we the little brothers. So it was, you know, you kind of had that like, not a real chip on your shoulder, but this, you know, proverbial chip on your shoulder where it's like, yo, we, we going to show you we bout it. <laughs> it just, it, it helped push the grind. You know what I mean? Again, anything accomplished in this world takes work and everything else is giant. So it's like, yo, let's show them what we got. For sure, for sure. So then... After all this is going on, you connect with your people at Oakland, you complete your degree. Where did life take you after Oakland University? So that's that's when the Marcus Graham thing kicked in, right? So here I am, I come out of school. At the time, I was working in retirement savings for a, a known bank, which was cool. It was paying my little car note, buying me outfits and stuff, and paying for me to go to cabarets. You remember cabarets, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Paying for me to do that. But again, when we think about those goals, I was trying to be Marcus Graham. And I remember graduating and applying to jobs and it just wasn't happening. And it was to the point where I would apply, I would send out a resume. This is the old days, you know, before everything was completely digital. I'm sending out resumes every day. I send out 10 resumes. And then the following week, I would follow up on every resume and I would call and call and follow up until I got somebody on the phone to say either the job had been filled or they don't want me or what happened. Um, I'll never forget, I was leaving out to go to work and the phone rang just before I had a cell phone and all of that. And I was like, I should just let it ring. I was like, no, maybe it's something important. And I ran back in the house upstairs, answered the phone and it was an advertising agency reaching out to me for a job interview. I'm like, hell yeah. (laughs) So, you know, we we set up that interview and, and I go, and I got the job and um, it was just this moment of, you know, success for me at the time. It was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm in the I'm by the pool. I'm in the space that I wanted to be in. And I was working in account management 
in advertising for a large client. Now, granted, my core passion was on the design side of things, literally being the art director, creative person in the room. And this job was not that. It was more the account management and, and the client relations side of things. But, you know, like I said, if you stand by the pool, you might get pushed in. And when I got there, I tried, you know, it was about, you can't ask for the next thing without being great at what you're at. But I focused on learning and doing as much as I can in this account side of things, because that's the space I was in. But I also would spend time with the creatives. I, I tried to sit in every creative call. I tried to influence, you know, what was happening with ads and designs and all those other things. Um, just, just to be in that space and to glean as much as I can. Right before we were finalizing the situation for me to to take that role, kind of working under the creative team, things changed with the client that we had locally in the region. And they essentially had to pull the plug on it. And and then I shifted a little bit. You know, I shifted my mindset because at that point I got a little bit older. I got this lady that I love and, and I want to do something about this. You know what I mean? So now I'm thinking marriage and these other things. So my, my core priorities shifted for, you know, building a family, not just thinking about what I want to do, but still not abandoning it. And in that same time, I had the opportunity where my client actually liked me and what I was doing and wanted me to come to that side of the table. So I literally left my job at the agency after a few years uh, and began to work as the client. So it was really weird because I was still working with the same agency, but now I'm essentially sitting on the other side of the table. In that process, I went to Specs Howard School of Media Arts, and studied design there. From there, I had the opportunity with, and I can just say it, I was working for McDonald's Corporation at the time. I was a regional marketing manager for the state of Michigan. And an opportunity as a national marketing manager came up and I was fortunate enough to get that role and I led uh, national merchandising. So when you literally go to a McDonald's restaurant, all the placement of any of the merchandising the build of the menu boards at the time we were working on digital menu boards and all that stuff uh, and helping build the creative for that i was a part of that and it was just it was really a stepping stone for me in that moment folks knew hey he's trying to be a creative director at the same time i was doing my own freelance work and started to build a clientele base there just with the relationships that i built over the years uh, so there was just a lot of things working in my favor and i was becoming marcus graham without knowing it mm. So then you being in all these places and, you know, building your career and you've been doing this for more than a decade, what would you say was, has been the most rewarding aspect of your career to date? I'm, I'm very much, again, I told you I'm, I'm, a, I'm a faithful guy, right? It's, it's about faith for me and, and listening to God when he tells you to make a move. So I was mm -hmm. in national marketing at McDonald's for a couple of years and, you know, he kind of told me it was time to move on. At the time, I was coming up on 10 years of being with McDonald's and he said it was time to move on. And I did that and I took an opportunity in Houston. That's what actually got me to Houston, where I was creative and brand director. Like I led creative and brand for a multi-million dollar company. And it was one of those where it, it literally bridged the gap of all the things I was. It took my, my business acumen and took my creative ability and smashed them together into this role and allowed me to essentially create and build an agency within this company. And that kind of was the moment where, I don't want to say I felt like I arrived, but it was truly my Marcus Graham moment. Like, no, I'm doing this and I'm doing it to the point that it's recognized by people and, and it's well. When I think about my greatest accomplishment beyond that and having that personal feeling, it was when I started working with 
my brother. Uh, he's one of the, the partners in Cypher Animal Hospital. And, you know, he's a vet. And that's who he is. And he knows how to operate on animals. But when it came to his business and, and the brand and bringing that forward, he came to me and was like, hey, I need you to do what you do. I didn't know what that even meant. You know what I mean? Like, you don't think about yourself in that way. But he was like, when I got those kind of business deals or situations, I need you to do what you do. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? But he's like, just do tea. And, you know, I was able to partner with him and his, his folks. And, you know, they have two beautiful hospitals that eventually became, you know, on a, on a television show. And I got to play a role in that show and work with my family. My sister created the show. So, you know, all these things came full circle and all of our individual areas of expertise and our individual talents merged together into this whole Voltron effect to create something that, you know, is is groundbreaking. I mean, first and foremost, this was the only, at the time, when it, when it came out, was the only Black show about black vets ever it was the first it did not exist you know what i mean and my sister had the foresight to to see that this is something worth showing and for me to say i had a hand in that not only as a cast member but to say that this beautiful hospital that you know kids come in and they see black vets and say oh i can do that you know for for those kids my brother and his two partners are their version of marcus graham in the vet space you know what i mean and i help craft visually what that looks like and what that feels like to people because brand is so much about feeling and, and, and the feeling that you're left with as opposed to what you tell people you are and for me to be able to have a hand in that was just dope for me and i'm a i'm a behind i'm a people person but i'm a behind the scenes guy so the fact that i get to push little buttons without everybody seeing it is just that, that's exciting for me so that's probably been my best work thus far at least in the in the creative space one thing that you and I share in common is that we are both big brothers. It's a responsibility that's unspeakable, but it's also an unspeakable joy yeah. to see your siblings do some amazing stuff. Oh, yeah. So my question to you, both of your siblings have accomplished so much in their own rights. So as a big bro, how does it feel to see Diara and Noir? excel at the highest level man in a word blessed man period uh -huh. you know we push each other right like if you ask dr has he accomplished anything he's gonna say hell no nah. if you ask him why she accomplished anything she'll say hell no nah. she's like she's trying you know what i mean like that's what that's but that's who we are and and it's, it takes the other one to point it out for the other one right so i sit them down and and sometimes as a big brother and and not to get too deep because this is this would be a whole another interview but uh our situation was unique uh my mother when i was uh 12 came down with a muscular dystrophy disease called polymyositis mm -hmm. and she went from being me she worked in marketing she was a super energetic person to not walking and moving and could barely speak my name for like six month bouts at a time and with that it forced me as the oldest to grow up a little faster and do some things different and as far as managing the household and cooking meals and making sure kids got to school i got my license early like all kind of crazy stuff and but with that it it mentally pushed me into this father space right so sometimes they get mad at me because i'm trying to be their dad <laughs> but within that you know i used to i used to always want to protect them right well, they got there at this point in life. They're all, you know, they're grown and I still want to protect them, but it's exciting to see them plan their work and work their plan. And, and they've literally done that. Like, and, and then we all converged 
you know, organically to where we are now. Watching Diara be who he always was, ever since he was a kid, literally, he was a grown-ass man. That's what he would say. I'm a grown-ass man. Uh, I'm dead serious. So, watching him be a grown-ass man and seeing him take his destiny in his own hands is amazing. Watching my sister transform from being this little kid in my mind, you just a little bitty girl because we're eight years apart, to being a mature, respectful, beautiful, responsible adult who is selfless. She'll give you a shirt off her back. Ain't no secrets. She'll tell you what you need to know. She's going to push you in the right direction. She'll pray for you. You know what I mean? Like all of those things are so overwhelmingly blessed. I, I can't do anything else but smile because I can literally point to my siblings and be like, they solid people. We not we ain't we haven't lived collectively in Detroit for uh, I don't know eight years now. But when we land, bro, people show up, and we know that. You know what I mean? When when I when my father passed away, and I don't mean to make this too long, but when my father passed away, he he had just moved to Houston probably six months prior to his passing. So you know we he from the D, so we flew we flew him home, and we had the funeral there, bro. I want to say I don't know five hundred people just showed up. Like literally, and people were, and there was like no standing room, people standing outside. And, you know, I, I hope anybody listening to this who was there knows that we noticed, we recognize the love that people have for us. And that says something to us. You know, we were, we, I think we're solid people. And, you know, as much as the accomplishments and, and the things that we're trying to do, you know, financially and, and, and just legacy wise are cool, the legacy of being known and respected as solid people is the biggest joy on earth. I love the love. And if you got love for me, I got more love for you, bro. So that is just, and I probably went on a tangent, I'm sorry, but that is what fuels me. That's what, that's what I smile about because that takes character, that takes action. And when people recognize it, you can't help but appreciate it. Sorry to go so long on it. No, no, that is fine, man. And I wanted to ask that question just given our similarities. My brother is a year or two younger than me. So to have like a brother that's under you, I know what that means to make sure that you <laughs> be protected. My sister is what, six years younger than me. And then the other one is eight years younger than me. So the age difference between you and Noara. And it's, it's an unspeakable thing, like for one, to want to protect them, but also you also want to make sure that the path that you leave them behind, that they do as much, if not more than what you're doing. Well, it's, it's, it's crazy because we're all four years apart from each other. And, um, you know, what I talk about is the fact that, or what I think about is the fact that we all see the world very differently. Mm -hmm. Like my sister when she recalls things from growing up, it's, it's totally different than it was for me. Cause like I always tell her, I was like, you look at stuff like, oh, it's gonna happen, it's gonna work out. You know, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. But that's because I had to do the work. I did the stuff behind the scenes so you wouldn't get in trouble later or you didn't have to do the, you know what I mean? And, um, mm -hmm. Or even even down to the personality. And it's funny cause I, myself and my brother, we have, our children are set up the same way we were. So two boys and a girl. But in that process, I started to see patterns of how, because I was the oldest and so much pressure was put on me, I tried to do what my parents said the way they said do it. Well, then when my brother comes along, he was rebellious as hell. 
You know, I remember growing up, man, and it was like, okay, you can ride your bike, but don't go past the 10th house on the block. So when I got to the 10th house, I turn around in the street. I remember my mother and I were going to the grocery store or something over on Gratiot. And my brother's on out of drive, bro. He was like six years old on his bike, flying down out of drive. My mama rolled the window down and she said that classic, if you don't get your ass back home, you know what I mean? But, and as funny as that was, and I looked at him as being this defiant little kid, you know what I mean? What, what that translated to in the future is my brother's still that defiant guy in his life as far as he's the risk taker. He's the one that's going to push the envelope and say, hell, we can do it. I don't know nothing about it, but we're going to figure it out. Where I did these, I did things a little more by the book and by the rules. And as I got older, I started getting to a place where just, you know what, I'm going to just jump off this building and fly. My brother thought he had wings the day he came out. You know, and I, I think part of that was crafted literally from position within the family. Because as I look at my own children, it's a similar pattern. And because I saw that, I pushed my oldest to say, hey, don't worry about, you know, the safety net. I got that part. You don't have to be the safety net. I'll take care of that. You go fly. You know what I mean? So I, I want to, you know, not only push my siblings past where, where I, I am and have been, but now we're trying to push our kids even further. Now, speaking of family, I want to take it back to Detroit for a second. And this is one of my favorite segments on the podcast. So everybody who comes on Detroit Worldwide, I ask them this following question. If they had to identify a song in their opinion that best represents Detroit, what would that song be? So your sister and Jawan actually sang their songs. I'm not sure if you're going to sing your song or not, but um, I am interested to hear the song that you chose. So T Blue hit us <laughs> with your song. The first thing I got there. So there's two songs, right? The first song that popped into my head was Street Lords Come Roll With Me. You know what I mean? Like when you hear that, if you from the D, I don't care what generation you're in, you gonna link up. You know what I mean? To the point like when Big Sean put that in uh what was it? It was like it was an extended mix on uh uh Dark Sky Paradise and he added that uh he sampled that that track and it just was like I put that on repeat when I'm designing stuff because it just it takes me home for real. But then after that I had to really think about that question and, and I thought about kind of the, the core essence of, of what you were asking. And the song that really stood out for me is Summertime by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Mm. Summertime, summertime, summertime. You know what I mean? Um, for me, that was the essence of Detroit. That was me as a little bitty kid wanting to go on the strip, at least at the time. At the time, the strip on Jefferson, the strip on, on Belle Isle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then when I was old enough to be there, that was me sitting in my car reminiscing on being a kid wanting to be here. Mm. You know what I mean? Or even now, when I come home, like I'll put that song on and ride down Jefferson just to reminisce for a minute because Detroit comes alive in the summer. It's like we hibernate in the winter and the moment that it's anything over like 52 degrees all of a sudden, it's like, listen, we, we can we can rebirth ourselves and the new ideas start and the energy starts and the girls are hanging out. The guys are hanging out. Everybody getting a fresh pair of Air Ones. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We're going to hang out in Coney Island. We're going to get a two liter Fago. You know, what I mean? like that. That's the essence of my childhood. That's the essence of just everything good about Detroit. That feeling of summertime. Mm. Both 
great choices and summertime that came out not to date myself i was a young lad probably about seven or eight but fresh prince was always one of my favorites like so slept on brand new funk nightmare on my street man you know it (laughs) one of my favorites growing up man appreciate both responses but wait, I got I got to throw this in just for the love of it. I'm a cheddar boy, baby. That's show. <laughs> East side, baby. East side. Hey man, I think that song in particular. I think I've gotten that response at least of the 50 guests I've interviewed at least six or seven times. That Listen, song, man, classic song, classic sound. Mm-hmm. Classic sound. Detroit has its own sound, bro. Oh, you already know it, bro. You already know. So. With everything you got going on, bro, I'm curious to know what's next. And then as a follow-up to that question, how can we as a community best support the work that you're doing? What's next? One thing as a family that that we're building with where we've been within the TV space is uh, a small production outfit. And, you know, like I said, we're from the east side, the streetcar Rosemary over there by Gratiot and Gunston. And we named the, the company Rosemary East. And we're in the process right now of working on some contracts with some different reality show situations and trying to put together some smaller projects uh, to hopefully land in some different spaces. And I can't get too much on it right now. Uh, they're still just in the works. But just trying to see what we can do with it. You know, it's about taking that grit and that grind and, and, and that opportunity. And like I said, stand by the pool, you might fall in or at least you get wet. You know what I mean? So just pushing toward that. There's some product stuff that... <laughs> that we're, we're trying to build out around the cigar space, uh, but more to come on that later. And then, you know, my agency, the, the color group, uh, continuing to just to, to grow that and um, working with different clients on on branding projects and, and helping them tell the story of who they are so they can connect with the world uh, and the industry that they exist in uh, and just make that better. And just honing my craft, man, it's... Uh, it's great to be seen as a leader in that space uh, and, and a problem solver creatively. So just trying to, you know, keep myself fresh and, and, and touch touch what I can. And hopefully, you know, you hopefully you never hear my name. It's just always in the background somewhere. And when, when people dig deeper, they're like, oh, man, he has something to do with that. Man, man. we definitely, uh, you know, keep you in prayer as everything goes on, as you all look to implement things and just keeping up the good work. Appreciate it. So... Where can people find you on the social media space? How can they get in contact with you, bro? The public space you can find me in is Instagram, which is at tblue3. That's T-E-E, blue like the color, three. You can see some of my photography and design work in my personal portfolio at 11.1, as in Hebrews 11.1, but 11.1creative.com, all spelled out. The agency is colorgroup.com and that's color spelled k-u-l-u-r colorgroup.com and uh you can catch me on episodes of the vet life occasionally on on demand animal planet the vet life and uh hell you might see me you might catch me somewhere in detroit if it's warm i'm not coming back in the winter (laughs) y'all catch me between you know april and october (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all right for sure we'll make sure we get the social media contacts and the show notes and if you see t blue light up a cigar for my man so as we wrap up bro final question and that question is simple what does detroit mean to you man detroit means to me family focus and fun and forever 
We're going to be dope with the alliteration. We're going to throw four Fs. Family, because my family is literally from Detroit, born and raised. That's who we are. Focus <laughs> in a lot of ways. Detroit taught you how to keep your head on swivel. Detroit taught you how to focus on getting it because anything good and accomplished in this world takes work and everything else is job. Fun. You know, I think about summertime. I think about the energy from Bellow that it used to have, the African World Festival and everything in between. I love the good cabaret back in the day and forever because Detroit is forever mine. And I got a Detroit tattoo, you know what I mean? So it's my city. I'm, I'm here in Houston and literally if you can see in my office right now behind me, I have this giant painting that says Detroit uh, that has actually traveled around the city, come to find out in, in multiple places following Super Bowl time back then. But um, no, I really, I love my city, man. I love my city. I will always rep Detroit. You can't help but rep Detroit. Detroit is, is in me. Detroit is who I am. Detroit is what shaped me. And, you know, if you can make it in Detroit, then you can make it. I ain't going to say you can make it anywhere. I'm going to say you can make it. <laughs> hey, well, I'll say you can make it anywhere. I'll add that for you. I'm with that. All right, for sure. So on behalf of T-Blue, I am Marquise Taylor. This is Detroit Worldwide, and we will both holler at you on the other side. Peace. Loving what you're hearing? Then feel free to leave us feedback. Feedback can be posted online when listening to Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to leave a review as well. You can also find us on the gram at Detroit Worldwide Podcast and on Twitter at Detroit World Pod. This platform would not exist without your support. I thank you.